Mina, for example, and all of you in front of us in the physical world. I must confess, I'm not an expert in the metaverse. I think I'm a person who's passionate about it. I want to understand it, but we all want to understand what is the importance of the metaverse for our jobs as government leaders, for our lives as people who are using and leveraging technology, and as well for the future and the opportunities that it creates. The UAE government does not believe in waiting for the future to happen and then react to it. What we believe is our job is to shape the future with the brightest minds and the people who are creating that future for us. It is my pleasure to say that this forum is brought in collaboration with Meta, formerly uh, Facebook, who today is paving the way to the future of the metaverse. What does the metaverse mean for me? For me specifically, it means a world where we have scale, where we can offer services beyond geographic boundaries. It means a world where we're able to really enter into the virtual world and consume its knowledge and consume as well the opportunities that it brings with it. And finally, it means unleashing a new form of creativity, being able to not just design physical goods and services, but design a whole new set of worlds, a whole new set of governance protocols, and a whole new set of experiences for people from all over the world. If anything, the metaverse to me means a new form of expression. I'm very happy to be with all of you here today and do hope that this is the first cornerstone that we put as the UAE government at the World Government Summit for governments everywhere to build the future world that we're going to live in in the next decade. Thank you very much. Thank you, Your Excellency. And now for the next segment of our forum, we have Brent Harris, uh, Vice President of Governance at Meta, to discuss the metaverse, but also governance. Please, Brent. Thank you. Welcome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having us here. It's great to have you here. And I have to say, my apologies to those who my back is to, Veroni, uh, I'm sorry. I always feel awkward sitting with my back to people. So here we go. Brent, I want to ask you first, what is the metaverse? It's such a good question. We, uh, we often hear it now because the word is on everybody's uh, lips, on everybody's tongues. We've been hearing it throughout our time, even just in this forum, in this summit. And the metaverse is going to be the next wave of the internet. It's the next wave of social technology. And it's going to have properties that we just don't see today with the technologies that we have. And so right now, when you experience uh, applications, when you experience the internet, it's very much a 2D type of experience. The metaverse is going to be three-dimensional, and that's going to that's going to create a profound and different type of effect and different experience. It is going to be interoperable. And beyond that, it's going to create this sense of presence. And so what you lack today when you interact, whether it's on something like Zoom, when you uh, go and you pull up Google or a website, what you lack is that sense of feeling presence and presence in a space, presence with other people. And 
that's what the metaverse is about, is actually bringing that feeling to social technology and to the internet. And I'll give you an example on it, if you'll, if you'll let me. I was just going to say, give us an example. <laughs> so I often think back as an example on it to my own family and my own upbringing. And when I was growing up in rural America, my mom, my mother, struggled to find a job. And she struggled because what she was trained to do in the small town where we lived was a job that was only on the second or third floor of this one employer on this building. And she was someone who was disabled. She was someone who was in a wheelchair. And even though she was qualified, even though they said they wanted to hire her, she wasn't actually able to do the work. And what is so powerful about actually bringing a sense of presence is that it will break down physical barriers that exist today. And so what I'm hopeful on, part of the reason that I do this work, is I think about people like my mother and the ability for them to actually access and be with colleagues and have employment and jobs that they can't have now. And if you can experience that, you're going to find that barriers break down. If you're a programmer in Dubai, you'll be able to work alongside people wherever they are. If you're a small business in Dubai, you'll have the opportunity to actually access markets that simply aren't there today. I want to come back to the point about accessing markets and also the economies behind the metaverse. But first, I want to pull on this idea of the presence. because. Yeah. For a lot of people, when they hear about the metaverse or they're trying to learn about it, it feels much more about experiences like entertainment experiences we've heard about. There's gaming. So, so you see it as wider, as more greater, greater elements of life, including work and education and, and living. It's so much more than gaming. And so today, the, the technologies are really used very much for entertainment and for gaming. That's a pathway we've seen before with other technologies. Right. The internet in the beginning was very much more about gaming, more about entertainment experiences. The same thing was true of mobile. We saw that that was driven more by gaming. And those are pathways that then enable broader usage, and they develop the technologies. And even now with our own products, we are beginning to see that the dominant use case is social. and so. When you begin to bring people together, they want to connect, and they want to actually have social applications for it. And what we anticipate on this is that a lot of the ultimate use cases will be social ones, and they will be business and workplace-based ones. And this brings us to, to the business conversation, because you know, we've seen numbers in the billions of um, how much investment is going in, including Meta's um, grand investments into um, the metaverse, but also that advertisers are beginning to talk about hundreds of billions worth of opportunity in terms of both advertising and the market size metaverse. So if we could talk about how this will impact economies, but also bring overall value, more than what we have in the physical world. Yeah, so the metaverse opens the prospects of a new economy. And that new economy is going to have property rights, and we're beginning to see, I think, a real intersection of Web3 and crypto with the metaverse. And I don't think we fully processed, actually, that protocols like Ethereum actually offer the ability to have property and do contracts in a way that today, much of the internet is owned by large corporations. And that is not what the metaverse is going to be about. 
it's actually going to give small businesses, individuals, the ability to be paid, the ability to own things, bring those things with them into different kind of parts of the metaverse and different ecosystems. And the world is also in a different place than it was when the internet first went to scale. And so I'm hopeful that it will also be much more global first than the development we've seen today. So of course there are skeptics and there are people concerned about the metaverse and your VP of governance um, for governance. So that's an important point, the governance element. Mm -hmm. And also how can we trust that meta will build um, the metaverse in a way that's positive for society? So, so how do you respond to the skeptics? Yeah, so it's a great question. And it's one where meta is not the only player building the metaverse. So we are building it alongside other players in industry. You're seeing that we are building with Microsoft. We're building with, and we're going to start to see what Apple is going to do in the metaverse. You're seeing the wide array of activity in Web3 that's going to come into the metaverse. And so meta is one part of the metaverse that's going to be built. And through that, from a governance side, we're building with industry partners. We're setting standards. We founded an XR association to begin to figure out what the standard should be across multiple platforms. So what I think you're going to find is this isn't like a single application. This is much more like a new era of telecommunications that will be built with multiple partners together. So could you give us an example of, you know, you're saying, as you said, I mean, this is still being built. and there are considerations to be had when it comes to governance. Could you give us an example of some of the things you're thinking about? Tell me more, sorry, I'm not. So, so more of, the, of you know, what you said about building with partners and how you'll, you know, the governance side of um, the metaverse. What are some of the questions that come into your mind when you think about, okay, this is what we should be thinking about. This is what should be thinking about at the design phase, so to speak. Yeah. So there are great questions in how to build the metaverse. So some of them have to do with questions about privacy and safety. How do we guarantee people's safety? How do we ensure that privacy is front and center in how the metaverse is built? There are questions about expression and communication. There are questions about access. And so there are trade-offs relative to premium services versus allowing as many people as possible to participate. For Meta, we have always held that our products should be as broadly accessible as possible. We have sought to make our services free. We have sought to build with our Reality Labs products, products that are much more affordable than what other similar products might be. And those are some of the questions, I think, that are going to be at the core of how you govern the metaverse, how you build it. And I'm really excited also for decentralized governance. And so for opportunities to hand power over to a wider array of people and to enable more localized forms of governance and some of the more centralized types of governance we've seen so far. Okay, so that takes me to the point about what policies do you think should be adopted to make sure that the metaverse can be a net positive for society? Yeah, so one that's broader is really about access. And so it is vital that people have the ability to access the internet, access these types of services, and be in a position where they can participate. So that's a crucial part of what the policy should be and enabling people to be on a pathway um, into the metaverse. Others have to do with the way that the services themselves operate and ensuring, again, that safety is front and center, 
that privacy is front and center, and that people are in a position where when they join and they're a part of it, they feel comfortable doing so. Um, so those are some of the things we're focused on. And I'll also add that as we've built, one of the things I think we've learned from our apps as they've gone to scale is thinking through how do we build in a way that collaboration is front and center so that there's partnerships and we build with others and that there are no surprises. And so a core value that we have been putting into the work as we build the metaverse is that we don't want people to be surprised. It's part of the reason now that we have actually talked about this front and center in advance of some of the technologies being more widely available, because we'd like to hear from more people. We'd like to set expectations about them. We'd like to hear from the types of people who are around this room on what needs to get right before right. these applications, before these products are at scale. I mean, the education part is so important because I think, again, and this is why I started my first question to you about what is the metaverse, because I think that change and, and uh, you know, a realm that people are not familiar with can be scary, and that's why the education part. So, you know, how should people educate themselves about this? What, what should they know about it? If you have children and you don't know if they're going to the metaverse, what's happening there, what would your advice be? Yeah. So one of the best ways to learn about it is actually to experience it. And so today there are different ways that you can take part in the metaverse through our products or other people's products. But I really encourage trying out immersive experiences because they are different than the types of experiences you can see today. And we're also beginning to make investments as a company. So we have committed $150 million to immersive learning. We've committed $50 million to an education fund. And our hope on this is that that begins to provide resources through NGOs, through governments, and through other partners that will enable people to learn about this, educate parents, so that people are in a position to really participate in this. And then, you know, some people get concerned that inequalities that already exist in the physical world will get compounded or um, you know, exacerbated in the metaverse. How, how can you work towards trying to reduce those inequalities, especially, again, you know, the big companies that are the early movers in here will be able to determine a lot of how this is going to turn out. For those who come in later, smaller companies or just ordinary people, they might feel that they're being left behind. Yeah, so this is one where I'm really excited about some of the foundational elements of the metaverse, um, in part because there will be different types of property rights. There will be ways for creators and individuals to be rewarded. Small businesses will be able to participate in ways that I think are actually harder in today's existing products. And so I think we'll actually see the opportunity for a more level playing field and how people can participate, how people can uh, gain the economic benefit and the advantage of the metaverse. And I'm really hopeful that the Middle East with its youth and its vibrant small business economy yeah. is going to be in a position to actually really lead the way and build out worlds, whether that's in Horizon, whether that's in different aspects and different, uh, different parts of the metaverse that get built. Well, we had the announcement yesterday from Dubai saying that they were going quite big on the metaverse and, and working towards having, well, part of Dubai recreated there. So, so that would be exciting for, I think, a lot of people to try to get their heads around, but also to experience. I have a final question for you as we're wrapping up. Um, the role of governments. So, you know, governments are thinking about this and seeing how they would be involved. 
Um, what would be that, I mean, we're at the World Government Summit, so what's the advice to governments who perhaps don't like the government of Dubai or the UAE who are getting quite involved in here? What would be the advice to governments, how they should be approaching this? So it's really important now, I think, to take some of the types of steps that we have seen today, which is actually beginning to meet with and partner with the different companies to understand the technologies, to begin to think through what the policy side should be and what is in the best interest of particular different countries and different societies in order to participate. Right. And vitally, I really do think a big part of it is going to be empowering creators, empowering businesses to start to participate. Because the more inclusive we can be and who is a part of building these different worlds and building the metaverse, the more likely it's actually going to bend in the best directions for any given, given part of the world. So I had said that was the last question. I'm going to cheat and do one more very quickly because okay. your answers are, are nice and brief. So you, one more question for you. On a personal level, what do you most enjoy about the metaverse? On a personal level, this is a personal question. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I actually love right now is, uh, and, and it's kind of the beginning days, I think, of the metaverse, is actually fitness. And so you can try apps like Supernatural, and, uh, and you, can, uh, you can do boxing, you can do meditation. Um, and so uh, I'm, as I shared, I'm from a rural part of America. You can actually go and you can meditate in, uh, in beautiful places that are wholly inaccessible from your home. And that's something that I think is just going to be incredibly powerful. Well, thank you very much for your time, and thank you for your answers. And Perfect. We will, I'm sure, hear much more about this um, okay. and much more about what Meta is doing in the metaverse. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. So, a look at where Meta is going with the metaverse and also the idea that it will be interoperable and working with other companies, possibly, and partners and governments. But there's also opportunities for neither the, just the large companies nor governments, but creative people, small companies, as Brent was saying. And that is where real opportunity exists for the metaverse to scale. We're going to have a conversation now about the opportunities at hand with our next speaker who is here. This circular room stuff, I have to tell you, is really tricky for moderators. So bear with me when I'm pacing. Um, I'm really excited about um, where the conversation will go to next, because we are going to talk about how technology can provide opportunity, not only for creatives and young people, but also those who can wear several hats. And the speaker who I'm going to introduce is definitely somebody who's been able to wear different hats and bring in both philanthropy, beautiful music, business, and technology to the fore. Will I am founder and CEO of FYI. Please come up on the stage. Hi, nice to see you. You're here. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> okay. Um, so you can keep it on because I'm going to, I'm going to um, 
not interfere with you with my mic. Okay, so I wanted to ask you first about how, you know, you were an early adopter um, with Masters of the Sun about four or five years ago. You did something which we hadn't seen before, which is really engage with, with the audience in a way that's different using technology. So I wanted to ask you, one, why you did that and what you've learned from that experience and how technology, the metaverse, is changing entertainment as we know it. So yeah, in 2007, actually, we um, came across the ability, actually, no, before that. So in 2010, Black Eyed Peas launched a song called The Time, which is also called Dirty Bit. And in this video, and we had, we showed that you could use the phone, aim it at a QR code, and out comes a digital character. And that album, if you look at the album cover of the beginning in 2010, the whole album was based on avatars and 8-bit characters, uh, which kind of look like NFTs today. Right. But in 2010, they were not called NFTs. And we used 8-bit characters because it was the digital world that was uh, impacting the, you know, the world as we knew it. Um, and in the video of Dirty Bit, um, people became digitized. And QR codes and, and using the, 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 you know, the lens of storytelling and the digitization of everything um, is what Dirty Bit is about. Right. Um, and the chorus went on, I had the time of my life and I never felt this way before and I swear, it's true when I owe it all to you and that you are developers. That you are the technicians, the engineers. Because when we get up on stage and we hold that Grammy, you're really holding a gramophone. And our music industry and our television industry is all based on engineers. Right. It's just that we never thank the engineers when we hold that Grammy. We never thank Edison's, we never thank, you know, General Electric's or RCA or Victrola. We don't thank the tech. Mm -hmm. um, NTSA, PAL, that's all tech to broadcast and transfer. And so that album that came before the beginning was the end. I got a fill-in and all these records because it, it depicted a time where it was no longer about physical cells. Right. Um, it was about the digitization of everything. Um, and it truly was the end. But with the end is also the energy never dies. And so we like to play on titles and words. And we were doing NFTs and AR. At the time with your vices, there were very few of them had those capabilities back in 2010. So in 2018, when things started to crystallize and um, Oculus Quest gave you parallax where you could look under and up and down things, we um, told a story in what is now called the metaverse, which I don't really like that name. Um, do you have an um, alternative? Huh? You have an alternative. We can all start adopting. You could do like Ultraverse or Omniverse. I just don't think one company should own the name Meta because now people think that it's like their company stuff. They own everything else. Why are they going to own everything else? <laughs> Well, I think Brent was trying to, to get away from owning the metaverse. No, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Roblox is awesome. 
Yeah. Disney's great, and they work great with children and children's privacy. So we, we, we really have to be careful in what we call this thing as it's growing and business practices that undermine people's civil liberties and privacy, especially children. about children, young people, and their exposure um, in, in different ways, especially in, the, in a time when perhaps their parents, their educators might be not as in tune to the changes that are happening that are quite rapid. So what advice would you give, I mean, what for, for you know, policymakers who are here with us in the room, what advice would you give to policymakers, to educators, to try to get ahead of this and one, understand it, but two, also make sure that, that children and young people are protected? That's a, that's a heavy question. I'm not a, I'm not a politician. I'm just a guy with a big, huge imagination at, that at my core job, my, the, what I did making music was to spread joy yeah. and bring people together. And so that comes with a different lens, right, where you're thinking about people's well-being and people having a good time and being safe at the same time. And music is about harmonizing. It's about, you know, bringing order to noise. Um, and if policymakers could practice the same practices we practice in music, and that is bringing order to noise, being harmonious, and getting along, as soon as I come into a room and I'm at a different key or tune, I'm no longer making music. I'm no longer gelling and business practices are not musical, they're not harmonious. Um, and so we need to govern for people, um, especially with these new technologies that understand us better than any religion, better than any parent, better than any, these companies understand and can predict what a child will be and follow a child forever. Um, and we've never been here before. Right. This is brand new. So with, without thinking about how people can be in the crossfire, mental health, judging every single conversation, swipe, eye, dilation of pupil, eyebrow, facial expression, muscles, moving, we've never been here. So you've got to think about the person. You have to think about the communities of folks. You can't aggregate all this information and sell it to foreign threats for profit, that's like, what? We're gonna look back at these times and like deem these companies and their business practices like inhumane, right? Remember, you know like when you watch like these Wild Wild West movies and you go to some Western town and everybody whips out guns and they shoot people on the street? Yeah. Be like, wow, that was Wild Wild West. Turns out the WWW is not only World Wide Web. That's the Wild Wild West because there were no laws. And, and the governance part of it is going to be hugely, hugely important. Um, you definitely have support from the audience. Um, the governance part is really important, but so is also the accessibility part. So for young artists who are looking at these changes and thinking, I need to get in there. You know, like you said, NFTs, they weren't called NFTs before, and now they are, and, and people are competing because they're scared they're going to get left behind, so to speak. So for a young artist, or a young person who's going into the creative space. Um, what skills do you recommend they pick up? What knowledge should they have? And how can they equip themselves for this new era? 
So say, for example, you're a musician. You play a piano. You don't play the drums. So you need a drummer. And now you have a pianist and a drummer. And then someone says, hey, you probably need a bass player. So you go look for a bass player. Now you got a cool little band. You got a three-piece. Then someone says, hey, you need to get a guitarist. And you find that guitarist. Like, hey, cool, great. We got a quartet. And I got a lead singer. Then someone says, hey, yeah, but your clothes are kind of whack. You should probably get that stylist. Somebody comes and dresses you nice. You look the part. Now somebody says, you need to bring a developer in. You need to bring a data scientist in. You need to bring somebody that understands spatial computing. You need to bring somebody that understands machine learning. Now you have a network. Now you have a band that can connect folks in ways that traditional networks don't. So you want to entertain and inspire musicians to not only look at musicians to be in the fold. Right. Because a musician and a song is totally different when you have someone building in, on an Unreal Engine or in Unity. You've taken a video that can be experienced every, differently every time you experience it. It's, it's no longer two-dimensional, three-minute piece of content, you know, when you expand your world. And can I ask, so, so you, that's a really good point about saying you need, you need to bring developers in. You need to rely on other resources. But there's also a concern that you almost lose control in a way, not knowing how, how it will develop beyond your, you know, your capabilities. I mean, how, how do you, as an artist, but also give advice to artists who are up and coming to make sure that they don't lose control? Well, well the, the cat's out of the bag. We've all lost control. You got 20 million followers on platforms. You don't control the conversations with those 20 million people. You don't have access to every single one of those 20 million people. You got 20 million people that follow you. Those 20 million people are not seeing all your content. You got to pay for that. And if you have to pay for folks that want to see you, you don't have control. So we've, we've lost control at the core of what we all strive for, and that is to communicate and have connection with folks. So you want to gain control back by having developers in your fold. You want to gain control back by understanding the construct of how these platforms that we live on every day are built. You want to gain control by understanding your value and data is currency. You want to gain control by understanding that eight-year-olds to 18-year-olds are not invested in um, to, to, compare, to compete with the world that's coming. You want to go out if you have the ability to go and adopt a high school and prepare these young kids for this autonomous tomorrow, for this very highly technological robotic tomorrow. Because if you look at the investment for tech versus the investment to make people intelligent, it's lopsided. So when, you, when it comes to control, who's in control? If I can't compete with a machine, if I'm 13 years old and I'm forced to take things in class that aren't really going to benefit me in 2040, 2050. So it's important to really understand where we are in the conversation of control and what we do as, a, in, as individuals and collective to prepare this youth for this tomorrow. 
you know, I was at a talk here yesterday where a great uh, futurist was saying that, you know, humans at the moment keep thinking they have to become more and more efficient, but machines are always going to be more efficient than us. So rather than trying to compete with the machine on efficiency, what we need to think about is creativity, logic, empathy, emotional intelligence. And you're supporting a California state initiative to help bring arts and music back into schools. And that's part of the thinking that how do you equip somebody young now to compete in that future economy? Here in the UAE, a lot is being done about the creative economy and making sure that you grow a creative economy. So my, my closing question to you is that bringing in the strands of education and, and similar to the, to the work that you're doing at California State, but also bringing in the creative economy and strengthening it at a time when the global economy is changing so, so quickly. What's your approach to that? What's your thinking on that? Creativity is therapy. And you don't have to be Leonardo da Vinci. You just have to be encouraged to let out what's inside of you. If, if there's a lot of folks that want to express themselves but don't know how to, they feel like they're not, they don't have the currency. They don't realize that creativity is currency. Out of, out of whatever predicament you're in, whether that predicament is finance or that predicament is depression or that predicament is uh, no opportunity. If someone encourages you to express yourself and celebrates your execution of that expression, it's enlightening. Um, and the arts in school is a path to that. It allows you to know who you are and how you communicate how you inspire other people. We, we live in a society where, especially in America, there's a football field in every single high school. But my sister's not gonna play professional football. In every single high school and elementary, there's a basketball court. But my sister's not gonna play for the NBA. Yes, there's a female version of that, but they're not making the kind of money that the NBA ba basketball players make. But in every high school, there's not a computer science program, there's not a robotics program, there's not an autonomy program. And if you think about, you know, creativity, there's not a music program, there's not a financial literacy program for inner city kids to get out of poverty. There's a lot of things that we're behind on when it comes to the basic things that people need to survive emotionally, financially, and support their families and ignite that light to inspire other people. And empathy is not practiced in schools, you know? Um, so, and I think the arts, music is a, is a beautiful, we undervalue the power of music. You know, music is the only realm at which somebody that's in music can be in any sector of the world and you're like, okay, for example, if you were to see somebody from music at a political event, you're like, okay, who are you gonna help get elected? If you see somebody in music at an event after a natural disaster, you're like, oh wow, thank you so much for bringing awareness to what's going on. You bring somebody to music at a sporting event, you're like, wow, you really made it. You're here at the sporting event. You bring somebody to music at an event like this, you're like, wow, you must be doing some philanthropic work. You bring somebody, you see somebody at music at a strip club, you're like, oh, wow, you're living that life. 
no matter where you go, music is there. And it's accepted that they're there. You say the same thing for a politician. They can't go everywhere. Right. A corporation, they can't go everywhere. Music is a very dynamic, very like elastic tentacle in every single corner of the world. And we need to celebrate that and more importantly have that in all schools that m music is stripped away from ghettos. Music is stripped away from, you know, the core um, method to allow you to appreciate other cultures. If you're playing jazz, you want to understand what's happening in India. You want to understand their scale. Right. And if you're playing like any type of music, you want to, you want to collaborate and, and, and improvise across different cultural scales because it's all influential. It's all inspirational. Music is powerful. Thank you. And with those very powerful words, I'm afraid I'm going to have to close our session. But thank you so much for your time Thanks. and um, for your insights. Will I am. Thanks so much.